As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Anyway, she goes to bed. I open up a box out of bourbons. I light up. I call myself a cognac. And I watch the 14 fists of McCluskey. What a picture. Yo, homie, is that my briefcase? Didn't start asking the right fucking questions. Welcome to a very special episode of One Hit Minute Productions. Uh, a chat with a filmmaker whose film I think is incredibly emotionally retching. One of the most experiential investigative movies I've ever seen. And I was just really excited because not only is it a great film, it's an Australian film. The film's called The Stranger. You can stream it pretty much everywhere in the world on Netflix right now. If you were lucky enough to catch it in a theater, bless you. I wasn't one of those lucky ones, but I've got the writer director, Thomas M right with me, Thomas. Thank you so much for taking the time to have a chat with me. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to talk to you about this really quite excellent movie. Thanks so much, mate. Thanks for the generous introduction. You're more than welcome. I'm going to ask you a random question and I know that it's random because I, I, I doubt that anyone would have asked this. Spike Jones made a film called Her a while back, and one of the guys who designed the video games for that movie made a video game called Mountain. Have you ever heard about it? No, no, no. I remember that little video game with a little white figure running through the landscapes. <laughs> yeah. It's a random video game called Mountain, and you download it, and when you very first download it, it says, I'm Mountain, right? And it gets you to scribble on the screen, and then it's just this game. And he described it, the designer described it as like, like a visually meditative experience. You don't do anything. You can touch the mountain and sometimes like leaves shake on it. And at the beginning of your film, there's this mountain and like, you, it's a, it's a visual theme and obviously a, a sensory theme throughout the film. And when I was watching it, it reminded me of just like, I guess the weird curio profundity of this mountain game, because it's like, I am mountain and like, it's just this mountain in isolation in space. And when I was, I, I, was, mean, I, I, was, I was struck by that in your film because I was watching it and I was like, the vastness of the, of the experiences of the world are in this game and in this film in just this moment. And I was sitting there going, oh my God, like it felt like this 
immersion I was waiting to take. And I felt like I was one of those random people who was very keen on that movie and downloaded this game and spent like hours pondering the mountain and visually meditating on it. And I was like, I don't know if that was an intent. Of course, I don't imagine it was intentional, but I just, I love that visual note that you start this movie with and a, and a bunch of other things. But I just thought nature sort of profoundly calling. It's a great you. place. It's a great place to begin because that's um that's an extremely subjective little piece of baggage to bring to the beginning. <laughs> of the film. But um, you know what I I love that statement. I am mountain, and um, I don't know what that could refer to, um, but it's stunning. Um, you know, I suppose you know we are of the earth and 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 we return to it, and we've been taught to think of ourselves as being extremely separate, um. There's a there's a number of ways you know there's there's a a number of these kind of I had a, a friend who's a great Australian writer um, Chloe Hooper yesterday said to me there are these moments in the film that are these um, pillow shots which apparently is a phrase from um, Japanese cinema which is about allowing your eye to rest mm. um, for a moment and um, as much as you're eye is allowed to rest they're also time-based shots which allow you to invest something personally um, in them um, there's a very literal component to all of those shots all of them serve a narrative purpose but they can also be interpreted any number of ways and um, and there is a statement in there about landscape and about time and about the indifference of nature and the scale um, of the environment and also the history of this um, country um, at the beginning of that film uh, being a landscape that conceals um, a, a hidden violence because I think it's a, it's definitely a truth that when you look at Australian art and a lot of the darkness of Australian art, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that we come from a, a landscape that's defined to a certain extent by violence. Yes. And we're we're all conscious of it, but we can't quite reconcile ourselves to it. There are there are these marks in the landscape that we 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 can't quite decode, and it's a landscape that outlasts us. And we know this is a landscape that's been occupied for such a a long time, and it holds mystery. And I wanted this film to begin very much with mystery, and 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 an invitation to kind of bring a a physical, subjective, personal experience for each viewer. Um, to, to the story. Um, and one of the things the film does there at the beginning is obviously to begin to begin with a meditation. And and the part of the agenda of that meditation is to insist on the film becoming physical, for you to become physically engaged with the film from from the very beginning. Yeah, it's time and I guess the boundlessness of it and the cruelty of the shortness of it is something that's in this film. Um, one yeah. of the shows we've done, we did a big deep dive investigation on David Finch's Zodiac and you, know, oh, yeah, you, can't, you can't help but talk about the case. You talk about people's impressions of the case. You keep, you talk about the, you know, the boundlessness of that investigation and how people just stare into the abyss of themselves and lose themselves and redefine their lives by this thing. And when you look at it, it's like, you know, it's, it's a, it's a few tiny tragedies that occur in seconds in the grand scheme of things and like you can get people spent decades of their lives and i think that there's the, some wonderful sort of visuals that you play with here that that tinker with that experience you know there's this meditative slowness let's try and slow down time and then there's the cruelty of like a three minute window which is so pinnacle to everything right. we're talking about the story that's right. yeah that's right um yeah i think that's a that's a that's a really great summation of something that's that's um central there in the film about um yeah the reverberations of events and about meaning and meaninglessness and really you know i i feel that the thing about violence my my sort of thesis or my idea of violence which i'm really trying to deal with in this film is that violence is something that threatens to render things meaningless yeah and uh you're trying to make meaning in the face of that in the face of something that's inexplicable at the core of human nature and that there's a seed of it in um in every one of us um it's not manifest in the way that it is in that central in that henry character or peter as we you know find out is that his name is later um but but his actions you know the 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 perpetrator of this violence his actions remain a mystery 
And the focus of the film is not on that violence. Violence is obviously the reason for the film, um, but but the subject of the film is is um, is not to be found there. Um, yeah. The subject is is in empathy, and the subject is in an attempt to to make to make meaning. Yeah, it's it's a really special film. I've, I and I'm there's one trap that your film doesn't fall into, which uh, and uh, another another great. Australian film example, another blue tongue classic from many years ago, animal kingdom didn't was that it took real life uh, events and then it gave it some dramatic license to have the freedom to do it without it being wedded to it. Cause I think that Australians, for whatever reason, like we get obsessed with these like underbellyification of, you know, true crime in Australia. And it becomes this like very glamorized, you know, gl- glossy version of things that happen. And one of the things I like where, is that where, like, um, where, uh, where violence is like the snare drum that gets yeah. struck at the end of every bar, you know, <laughs> to, to, to lead you through this thing. And, and often it's played for comic effect or um, just, just, just as a convenience of story or another, yeah. another bump on the road. Um, yeah. But I find myself, I find myself, and that's what really struck me about your film. I find myself loving, I guess the, you know, your, your particular, your particular area, your particular series of notes of, of like these violent things give meaning to a whole bunch of people's lives. They create a whole bunch of, you know, they give a whole bunch of people purpose for a long time to do this. And that purpose has its own ramifications. Every person that is touching this case, even though we don't see the actual events of the case, but everyone's touching it is being impacted by it, that are being stressed by it. And obviously we see that more with Mark, Joel Edgerton's character. Like we see him, you know, more closely and see how the impacts and the proximity of that is affecting him. But it's, it's, it's happening all throughout the film and particularly with the, you know, the, the, the core investigators uh, as well. Like they're, they're all people who are, uh, are feeling the impacts of that. And like uh, uh, the investigator. It's interesting that you, you intuit that and you, you talk about that specifically because, you know, one of the things that the film doesn't do consciously is drop little hints in about who these people might be and what their circumstances might be. I mean, as I'm talking to you, I can see a, a photo behind you of your kids throwing their arms around your neck and that sort of thing. Now that that creates enormous resonance. Um, you know, it means that I, you know, we know something about you. I know something about you. I've been led into something, but I didn't want to leave those hints in the film because by building the film around the absence of this child, by never showing the image of that yes. child, I was really asking everybody that I worked with and everyone who's watching the film and who responds to the film and leans into the film and um, really responds to it because some people aren't going to engage with it on that level. But I'm but I'm asking them, who's that person to you? What yeah. is that to you? Where's your, what's the root of your empathy? What's that thing that matters most? If this isn't going to be a film that's defined by violence, if it is a film that's defined by this kind of absence, then you, you, I, I, I wanted to make the audience work. I wanted to make them lean in and I wanted to make them think about themselves and their own life because, you know, when these kind of events happen, they do reshape the society. They reshape our feelings of safety um, our experience of one another. And it's one of the reasons that the film is called The Stranger because The Stranger could as much refer to the perpetrator of the crime. It could refer to the victim. It yes. could refer to the victim's family. It could refer to that central character, Mark, whose real name we never learn. He yes. is our central character. We never even find out who he is. Um, or it could refer to all those faceless, nameless individuals at the end who who provide resolution, um, yes. who provide closure. Um, to the story and um and it's it's not the it's not in any way the ideal result but it's the only result that can be hoped for it at this point which is to to find um you know evidence that can secure a conviction against this person who's who's committed the crime um so and you know it was really important for me in thinking about that in thinking about the casting um about why why do people take on this work why do people go so close to this um, darkness? And one of the only voices of conscience in the film um, like that is is a sort of big, burly, offsider detective who's kind of the right-hand man <laughs> of Jada Albert, 
plays a lead detective case who, when he speaks, and he only speaks a few times in the film, he always speaks from the perspective of the victim themselves or their family. Yes. And um, it was really important to me to, to, to make a gesture like that because what that signified to me is who knows where this person has come from. This might be a person who grew up in a really tough environment. We had a stepdad who came in. He had a little brother and the stepdad shook the little brother or something and the little brother was never the same and he has sworn that no one's ever going to do that again. That that's why that's why he is there. So you're trying to subvert those archetypes all the time and and draw a more complex um picture of who these people might be and the effect that this is having on them without having to be um expositional. Yes. Um, directly expositional about that, you know. Yeah. yeah, there's a funny phrase that the writer director Chris McQuarrie uses is like, I don't, you know, when I'm when I'm doing an action scene, I think so much of yours, without being like action orientated, it's behavior orientated. It's just like I don't want to always make everyone eat their broccoli in their brownies, is his description of it. Is like I don't I want you to I want you to have the moment where you can consume it. If you need the exposition to keep you moving, you do. And I think you do that really wonderfully with montage and tinkering with time. Um, but I love that you mentioned Jada Alberts because, you know, one of the most poignant scenes of the film for me, she's her and her great burly offsider detective are interviewing an RSL uh, employee mm. to, to, to check out an alibi. And in the middle of it, um, and, you know, for non-Australians, you know, um, that, you know, retired uh, servicemen's leagues clubs, um, you know, yeah, ex-servicemen's clubs, basically. So anyone who's served in the country and every night, you know, they, um, uh, they sort of remember servicemen who serve for the country. And in the middle of the interview, that call that happens, it's so typical of those things. And in that moment, it's like they're remembering these warriors for our country or for our cause or for our values. And she has to pause her investigation <laughs> in service and wait. And we have to dwell in the silence of the moment with her. And I was just like, and this it's is really just important a to me. It's really important to me there that everyone, everyone's going to bring a very different baggage to that moment also. Yeah. And, you know, I was very you know, conscious that, you know, that, that, that Jada's Indigenous yes. and the the baggage that an Indigenous person brings when you know the history of Indigenous people who have served for this country and then returned home to still be considered flora and fauna till 1967. Yes. Um, is a very different acknowledgement that it's going to mean to the offsider or to everybody in the audience. And some people are immensely moved because they're thinking about that victim. Some people just experience that as frustration. Yeah. And certainly people come from Jada's background or have that political consciousness are going to have a very different interpretation of, of that moment, which is also like a, 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 bureau, a bureaucratic interruption yeah. know, as, as well. Um, so, you know, you for me, it's like I'm constantly trying to create moments like that that are driving it onward, providing the film with tension, but are able to be interpreted on different layers. And the people who are just there to watch a like a ripping yarn the film provides that. The film yeah. provides that 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 um that that narrative connection throughout of cause and effect that you can that you can hang on to and that's really satisfying. And just to go back really quickly, I mean you mentioned Animal Kingdom. And I think one of the things that also unites you know, those the 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 two films is um when you think about films in that crime lineage, Australian crime cinema, which is actually a really diverse body of films. I mean, yeah, um, you've got you've got things from Wake and Fright, Two Hands, Animal Kingdom, The Stranger. It's, <laughs> like it's a, it's a wild, it's boys, a wild and what yeah, boys, boys. Justin Curzon film, yeah. Nitram, Snowtown. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it there's it's, it's a hugely diverse range of films, but 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 Animal Kingdom has a um, narrative ambition that it's always working with two sides of the coin. Um, you know what is happening is 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 often working on multiple layers, and it just has a a, a level of kind of narrative cohesion where there's there's a lot of material yeah. there, you know, um, and you're trying to bury information without it appearing to be exposition or something. I mean, I think Animal Kingdom is an extraordinary piece of writing. Um, yeah, first and foremost, everything that is connected through that film and the interrelationships, but it's kind of like an elevated, um, and I'm and I it's 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 operatic on a kind of familial level yes you know um where where family is kind of an anchor in the stranger but the sheer logistics the the scale of what that police operation entailed 
the the depth and reach of the of the undercover operation. I mean, it's um, you know, it was a it was a confronting film to write, not only because of the material, but because of the scale of information and yes. the scale of the operation that I was that I was also um dealing with and trying to put into a form where an audience could wrap their head around it. Yeah, I, I think I think uh having people just orient themselves to the characters and especially uh especially um Henry, Peter, uh Sean Harris's character at the beginning and then uh and then uh, Mark Joel Edgerton's character, having them having them orientate themselves and then having these moments where you're kind of giving these impressionistic time jumps and seeing how they've gotten to these different points. I think that that's like, you're, you're doing exactly what we need to do, but when we get to know them and the whole point of the stranger is like, there is a desperation. And I think that it's something that your film does really beautifully as well as it's like, there's an institutionalization that happens with anyone who goes behind bars. And so when they come out, there's an inherent desperation that I'm just going to take, you know, I, I, I can't look this gift horse in the mouth, whatever the opportunity is, whatever the job is, it's because like, I'm already, I'm already tainted. I've already got something on me that is not going to allow me to ingratiate myself sort of effortlessly back into society. Even if I have, even if I have served my time for, you know, some sort of minor crime. And so that's, what's also you know, that's what you immediately get struck with is like, oh, that this is the person who's taking their opportunities just as you're sort of taking your first few bites of this thing. And then as you delve deeper, it's like this this tangled web that you've had to wrangle us into starts to materialize and you're like, oh my God, this is so much more than I could have ever imagined Close. that it actually is. Oh, now you fucking know this. Don't find yourself in terrain that you're not familiar with. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish, right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just six dollars. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba da ba ba ba. Hey, do you want me to teach you something that I learned at work? Close your eyes, and you're gonna breathe in. When you breathe in. You gotta imagine that you're breathing in really clear air. And then when you breathe out, you breathe out all the black, dark, bad air. This is the largest missing persons case in the history of our state and is one of the largest in the history of our country. At the time, detectives found insufficient evidence for him to be considered a person of interest. Whole body's gonna relax. Your feet, your knees, your hips, stomach, your chest. Breathe in the clear air. Blackness. 
This cast, though, and, you know, credit to your absolutely phenomenal writing, but this cast is incredible. Like, across the board, I want to shout out just random. I thought it was him, you and Leslie. I went and looked it up afterwards oh, yeah, because I'm like, because you can barely even notice it is him. He's just phenomenally, like, great bureaucratic voice, you know, like letter of the law guy. And, you know, that's a moment in the film where you're like, oh, please don't let this bureaucracy ruin where we are in the film. You know, there's those sorts of things that happen. But, man... Sean Harris. It's funny because, you know, he said, you know, Ewan said he couldn't help thinking of himself as a kind of antagonist. And then um, as we were shooting the film, I'm very proud of how we shot Ewan and how we thought about the photography of Ewan and placing him within that world and the function of the way bureaucracy works in this film um, and institutions work. Um, But he said it wasn't until he saw the film that he was like, um, he realized how essential it is what that character is also saying. He's talking about the reality. He's recontextualizing the reality that this this individual has been dragged through this operation where you have 50 undercover operatives focusing on one person and giving them every incentive to confess, where if you don't find evidence, uh, he's going to walk. This guy is going to walk. There's no way you're going to be able to secure a conviction. So he really does in, I- introduce a whole other level of um, stakes Yes. Um, at that point in the film. But you mentioned Jada before, and for me, I just have to mention Steve Mazarkas, who yes. plays Paul at the right. beginning of the film, Correct. Alan Dukes, who plays John, and and also, um, you know, my little boy, my son, Cormac, who plays Joel's son in the film. Yeah. That was your boy. My son. That's yeah. awesome. I outside this room, right, he's outside this room right now. Um, he's um, yeah. That was giving really important. all giving all parents one of the most frightening moments of the film. Thank you very much. <laughs> a hide and a hide and seek moment in the film. And it was hard for him to shoot that moment because he'd been preparing for a year with Joel. Like they wrote children's books together. They talked to each other on the phone all the time. Made up characters together whenever they could. They'd get together and spend time together. And, you know, Joel was on his own path during the making of this film. He discovered he was going to be a dad. Um, And the film just became intensely personal. I mean, we made it intensely personal because the weight that we felt to deal with this material and deal with it sensitively and to have a strong moral perspective um, on this material was so strong. And, yeah, when we were shooting that particular scene and Joel had to yell at Sean, Joel looked like he was going to cry. Cormac looked like he was going to cry. <laughs> Neither of them wanted to keep doing it. It was really um, tough on them because it was a it was a betrayal of trust. But you know, in it, you know, there are many central scenes in this film, and and that's one of them because it is yeah. it is a you know a parents it is a parents' worst fear losing losing your child, and um, when you're carrying that paranoia and and fear that Joel's character is is carrying that Mark is carrying. Um, all the time yeah it's overwhelming but you know it was a tough film to shoot you know really it was a really tough film to shoot because we had to hold on to a core of so much unspoken tension um joel said after we finished that it's the quietest city he's ever been on in his life um and a lot of that had to do with i think you know um, my level of focus um joel's level of focus sean's level of focus that's sort of um, ran out and informed everything. And, you know, to the point where, you know, like people were quite afraid of um, Sean at times as well because he he disappeared. Yeah. Sean wasn't there. And, and you know, Sean is uh, someone who's very well known for going very deep into his parts. And I, I think this really consumed him. And, um, you know, and it was a very, very difficult process, very difficult thing to be in the middle of for all of us where it, where it asked us to go. And, um, you know, it wasn't until later that he, Sean's partner, actually, and he's just become a dad also. Um, Sean's partner partner saw the film and said, I I can see nothing of you. I can see nothing of you. Like you are not there. It's that's Henry Teague. And it was so important to me to, to cast Sean, not only because I knew what he can do, the way he can channel things, the way he can shift the molecules around in the air when he works. And I felt like I could see that on the monitor. The air would change colour, change mm. composition almost. Um, to have an outsider, to have someone who yeah. comes from somewhere else, it transformed into one of us, but we're like, no, there's something uncanny here. We can't place him. 
It doesn't feel right. He's like a he pod person. Stopped. He's like he's 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 like a pod yes, person. Exactly. Look, he's not a real human. No, yeah, you're yeah, like that's right. he's he's so good at imitating lo- like us. Yes. But yes. it's like the uncanny valley. They're saying like, you know, whether it's digital photography yeah, exactly or whatever, right. it's, it's, it's oh. like, there's something you're like, and there's it's interesting dis- that that phrase has become so ubiquitous because there is something very dreamlike about the film, but Freud in positing the idea of the uncanny, you know, a hundred years ago, talked about the idea that the uncanny was a sensibility that is better represented in art than anywhere yeah. else. Yes. They feeling a feeling of some crossover where our shadow state, uh, it's a Jungian thing, but, you know, meets our conscious mind and there is an uncanny overlap there. And I wanted the film to exist in that shadow land yeah. in, in a kind of uncanny place. And, you know, the control of the film when it comes to the colour, the tone, the temperature, the feeling of the exteriors, these kind of bad lands that it exists in, for me it is dreamlike. But yes. it's also necessitated by the operation because they need to keep this person remote. They can't have him around civilian populations. They need to keep him in these kind of badlands places where no one goes. And without being overtly made aware of it, you you are on some level made aware through the wardrobe choices and that sort of thing that these are incomplete characters. Mark is not a fully formed character. He only has about two sets of clothes. Yeah. He's not real. Yeah. So you're returning to this kind of dream state all the time. And and obviously, when it comes to the narrative structure of the film, the reveal is that one of them is entering into a dream and passing deeper and deeper into these levels of a dream where he can now unlock his subconscious. And Henry becomes this kind of Pandora's box that just opens. And as he begins to open, he begins to talk and more and more begins to come flooding out. And as he passes deeper into that dream, Mark is heading further and further into a nightmare. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so you have a nightmare on one side coupled with a dream until it, it it all comes colliding in reality and in the day of when they go for the confession. Yeah. When he's right from the moment that he goes to buy clothes and he's mm. there and the, the store clerk walks up to him and it's like, hey, mate, can I give you a hand with this? And... The store clerk does what I imagine lots of store clerks do. There are people who go into stores, you know, some, some folks, I think it's a great empathy test of like, if you're like, you oh, know, I'm good. Thank you very much. I'm all good. I'm just looking or no, I'm fine. Thanks. I don't need any help. But just the fact that he like, he does not compute that sort of standard citizen cordiality in that moment. It just doesn't compute. And that guy who is around people a lot, just kind of looks at him and goes, something is wrong. You sort of see all this stuff go on that guy's face, a great, like, you know, one day bit player actor. says like two lines in the whole movie. And he just looks at Sean Harris and is like, nope. And just walks to the other side of the store. What's, what's, the, what's amazing about what you've intuited there is I, I think he's only in focus for about a second and a half, that yeah. character before it rolls focus to Henry. If it ever actually pulls focus to, to that, you know, really brilliant young guy from Adelaide who played that part. But, you know, it was also really important to me to register that you're experiencing this very subjectively. You know, obviously you're experiencing the whole beginning of the film through Henry's perspective, which gives us that experience of what it is to be the target of one of these operations. And alternately through there, we with Paul a little bit, but these guys are very much outsiders. And then Mark comes in and he, Joel's character, he's such a dominant, almost father-like figure yes um and it was one of those things that i was conscious of that for that character henry to have a military background that what he really needed was someone to tell him what to do yes he really needed a, a father figure to come in and sort of lay down the law and set these very clear parameters about behavior but that's one of the only scenes where you see him with that store, store clerk where you see henry outside of that organization and realize just what an intimidating threatening presence this person acts actually is within yeah. the context of us, us people who live moving through the normal world the the violence that we would feel radiating um off that um person because you know he really is he is um not normal and the film never never uh entertains any idea about his psychology the film is not interested in henry's psychology no. Uh, in particular, in interrogating that or uh, understanding or trying, letting him justify his actions whatsoever. 
you know, and as much as I'll just say, as much as it was really important for me not to represent this real case, why it was so important to fictionalise it was I felt I had no right to represent that little boy, that yeah. victim. I could only produce him by attempting to represent him. I had no right to presume anything that that family could have gone through. Um, and I had no interest in representing the real person responsible for this crime. I would be just as happy if their name were forgotten and consigned to a vacuum and, yes. and never remember. Um, and I was never interested in, in, in either, as I said, privileging the psychology of that character. But you can't deny that he thinks and responds to the world in a very, very different way. His, his, his impulse control, his understanding of how to relate to one of other people passes through some very, very different filters. And, you know, it's a through line between my first film and the second film too about this idea of the performance of the self, who we are on the inside versus who we are on the outside and how we learn to be, how we learn to fit into um, situations. And um, this whole film is built around those kind of dualities. Both of these two central characters are two people. They are literally binary one side and absolutely the other side. And there's a shadow area in between where the film begins to exist, which is what, what gives us that uncanny um, feeling, I think. Um, we're aware that the whole film is hidden. The whole film is about lies. Um, yeah. yeah. It's a special film. Congratulations on it. First, I mean, Thank you. It's, it's, it's really beautiful. It's, uh, I mean, beautifully put together. The, the content is obviously jarring and really hard to take and you know especially because it's such a uh it's an experiential film is how i would describe it is that you start to feel the experiences of the different characters and so that it draws you in and it gets uncomfortably close um when you were putting it together how much of you know how much of different art how much of other things were you consuming was it music was it still life was it cinema that you were thinking about how i'm going to approach this was it the texture of the landscape itself and trying to get there or was it as you were talking about the shadow realm this sort of liminal space was it like just finding the language of how you're going to express it to kind of make it to make it happen you know where where, where did that all start coming together for you for me i'm i my 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 sole focus is in form and content so my yeah. my everything that i'm interested in is about what's what's in the what's in the bones of this material and then how does it shape the form of the film? And how do you try to make something three-dimensional out of that um out of that uh, material? So, you know, it's everything. There, there are parts of this film that are profoundly personal. Yeah. Um, you know, there was a there was an immersive um research process. So in in writing the film, I researched full-time for about six months, seven days mm -hmm. a week, about 10 hours a day. Um to understand everything about the legal parameters, the practicalities of the operations themselves, the, the in, in investigative nature of, um, you know, the kind of investigative side of the process, um, the psychological side of these sorts of things. I, I read full time and I sort of built the film in cards on the wall and then I, I wrote it in six days and um, then I was actually hospitalised after those six days. <laughs> oh my, my entire body gave out and um, I ended up in hospital with pneumonia and I, I couldn't walk, I couldn't do anything. And I don't think I'd realised quite the toll um, that it was that I was having on me. Um, but I, I, and, you know, that pales in comparison to the real people that are having to deal with this sort of material day in, day out, all, all the time, let alone victims and, and, and associates of victims of violence, you know. Um, so, look, it, it really, the root of it was the material itself, was the form. But then, of course, everything begins to blur between visual art and photography and things that you hear, personal experience, your own dreams, your your reality, you know, as a, as a father, having a, having a child, a young boy, um, and how manifest that was in the film. Plus the experience of your collaborators. I mean, everything as a director is about trying to shepherd all of these things within a spectrum of feeling. And really you're, you're dealing with things that are like smoke, that yeah. on their own have no tangibility, you know, the, the sound. So like things like Matthias Shack Arnott, who's an experimental percussionist from Melbourne, 
who whose sound you know begins the film and returns at certain points this kind of yeah. whirring physical sound some people describe it as like um a moth yeah. um jada when they heard it for the first time said they had a distinct feeling that they weren't supposed to hear that because it sounded like a bull roarer like a declaration of war an indigenous yes. declaration of war um that that it has a physical aspect and so much of it was about wanting it to feel physical feel tactile um you know films are films are comprised of millions and millions of of these choices every day and david lynch has a wonderful expression which is that you think feel you think <laughs> through those choices because there has to be feeling associated with it you can't just you know you you can't intellectualize you can i mean look the thing I love about film as a medium is that anything can work. Yeah. And I would defy anyone who says that can't that story can't be a film. Any story can make a great film. Any personality can make a great film if if they are if they have a deep understanding and a, a truthfulness about the way they communicate or what what have you. It's a hugely idiosyncratic um and very tough, very, very tough medium. Because, you know, I mean it's a Stanley Kubrick quote that it's like trying to paint the Mona Lisa in a moving vehicle. It's, <laughs> you, are, you are dealing with so many obstructions, so many I, things. I like, I like the involved. David, I like the David Fincher one of like trying to paint a portrait from a huh. hundred meters away on a megaphone. <laughs> and like, and, and you just, and you've, and you've got someone holding an easel, you've got someone holding the brush, you've got someone holding right. the canvas right. and you're like screaming little bit more blue, you know, like you're just trying to, you're just, and, and it's also ephemeral because you're looking at it in a distance. So yeah, no, it's, it's a, it's kind of miraculous. And also exactly as you said, it's so idiosyncratic and it's so about think, feel, and it's so about the, the energy and the tone that you're creating that you're just waiting and hoping that it can actually resonate. And I think that that's what's really but striking about the you're feeling. pursuing a feeling you're pursuing a true you're pursuing a true feeling to the point where you can become a kind of relentless pain on everyone that you're <laughs> around and feel like you want to walk through life apologizing to all these people that you just wouldn't let them sleep wouldn't let them rest make them go deeper make them go further um but you know the the you know i try to bring everyone into a conversation where their contribution is personal and valuable and i mm. wanted i i don't i'm i the megaphone analogy probably resonates less with me because i feel like we're 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 more like you know we're we're in a huddle we're yeah. all together and you're trying to call on some um, feeling and some thought and some memory and some in investment, um, a depth from from everyone around you, um, and um, and and um, and and bring that together to a kind of like quiet vibration where it where it starts to take on a kind of physical um, form. I mean, that thing about the three dimensionality, I mean, it's, it's, look, it is, it's, it's great. It's not something I talk about an awful lot, but you know, cinema is my entire life. And I, and I, and I remember um, Jonathan Glazer talking about under the skin, which is a film I have immense admiration for. He's, he he's, un about he's unbelievable. That run of unbelievable. The, he's unbelievable. The, the run of the run of sexy beast, uh, under the birth and under the skin it's like yeah that's and he's just I'm, finishing another film at the moment which is apparently set in um world war ii um to do with the jewish community in europe uh i i don't know what it is but everything he makes is so visceral and so and so physical and so unique um but but you know he said something beautiful about it which is that you're tr you are trying to create this three-dimensional thing that you can turn and light and feeling will pass through it in different ways. And I'm very conscious that with cinema these days, with so much, and it's an awful word, it's a word I hate, but with so much content out there, you, you, it, it is integral that you make something that people can return to again and again. You yes. should be able to watch this film two, three, four times, uh, any film that you're setting out to make now. And, and my response to that, I mean, the first thing I said when you asked me about this is it, everything is form and content for me. Yeah, yeah. And content itself is horizontal. Con yeah. Content is this happens, which causes this, which makes this person feel this way. So they do this, which causes this. That travels along a horizontal line. But what you're looking for are these vertical elements and these dimensional elements that make the story 
echo through time where you're in conversation um, with 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 many other with many other aspects of the art form or um, or its history or with people, and you, you're you're looking for those timeless qualities that put, that pull it into a three dimensional um, object and something that when you revisit it years later you will see really differently. And I know a lot of people that I've spoken to have gone back and watched the film two or three times because. It's such a phys- physical, visceral experience on the first time because you're waiting. You're waiting for some impending awfulness to be visited on you. Yes, um, and a lot of people feel very unsafe. And for the people it really lands with, and as I said, some people will be like, "Well, whatever." It was a two and a half star film for me, and I'm not interested. <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. It's all. It's all a reasonable response. Everyone's right, but um, but for the people that it does land with. Um, to to come back and look at it again from a from a structural perspective, or to think about the characters now, knowing what you know about what's in the film from the beginning, is like shining a completely different light through the sculpture of this film, uh, where you'll see all different colours and vibrations. And um, yeah, I feel like I've definitely used the word vibrations enough. It's <laughs> not a word that I well, use for. Well, this is what I would say to you is. Um you're on the right show you know we've we've unpacked all uh the michael mann's heat a minute at a time all the president's men a minute at a time paul thomas anderson's inherent vice a scene at a time uh zodiac we've done a massive investigation on and we're about to do audio documentary on uh, master and commander called podcaster and commander um um, so We've done lots of different shows and I think that what you're talking about is, and this is what so that sort of harmony or what you're trying to achieve is for me, that's it's going back into a feeling of a movie. And I've watched the film a couple of times now and I kind of had to let it hit me on the first watch. And then I took a very, you know, much more analytical approach on the second time, knowing, hoping that I got a chance to talk to you and and that made, that made manifest, which is brilliant, but just even something is, just a couple of like tiny things that start to open up the whole movie for me is just like Mark's life's empty. Mark's living a Mark's Mark's, you know, you know, single dad life because of the nature of his work means that his home is sparse. His home may as well be a staged home that you would have somewhere else. And, you know, in another movie, you might, you might, if they weren't as, I guess, deliberate and as considered as your thought processes you wouldn't because you reward us with all how considered you are in the film and how much your collaborators are it's like i go back and i go man his house is a stepdad house if ever i've seen it no no trinkets no art no real possessions it's the most lean existence of all time and then even something as simple as um uh even something as simple as sean harris's phrase when I think you were filming in Glenelg, I think I've stayed in the hotel you were filming in and you were like, and he goes, look, it's the sea. And just the word, the sea. I'm like, no one who lives in this country has ever looked out to the boundless ocean down toward Antarctica and gone, the sea. We don't say things like that. You're speaking our language, but you're not speaking like a human being. So yeah, look, I think that the devil yeah, is he in says, the details. He says, he says, have you seen the sea? Have you seen, you seen the sea? Um, yeah, yeah. You know, like that speaks to some sort of interiority there, um, where this is a person who who can't lift his eyes, and the the horizon is a kind of um, impossible thing. And I think it's the, one of the longest shots that we hold in the film is an empty shot where he looks out the window um, just before that. And we look down, and there's a pier. And if you if you saw it on the IMAX screen, you would have seen there's couple of people walking along that pier and you know there's a little boat in in the distance and and again you know and to use chloe hooper's phrase it's a um it's a it's a pillow shot it's a moment that lets your eyes rest but it also lets you become active in that moment what is he seeing what impact is he having on him what mystery is it that's taking place inside that um person's head and what feeling do you get from that shot, from the color of it, the movement of the waves, um, his and, and it cuts back to him. It cuts back to him, and his breath is fogging the um, glass, and you can always hear his breath. And in fact, actually, over that shot, we Andy Wright and I, the sound designer, we had Sean uh, exhale, and then he doesn't breathe for ten seconds over that shot before he cuts back to him and he inhales and and says, have you seen the sea? 
and it was like a it's a um it's a suspension yes. like a, a a physical um perspective suspension um that that, that happens there well, Thomas, it's, it's absolutely been brilliant talking to you. Um, everyone who's listening, if you've got Netflix, most people do go out right now, watch The Stranger. I think it's truly one of the best films of the year for me and one of the best Aussie films I've seen in some time. And um, you, should be incre- you should be incredibly proud of it. Thank you so much. I have to say it's been a phenomenal also to see the response on um, Netflix. You know, the film's been watched almost 30 million hours in the last wow. um, two weeks. We're currently number three worldwide um, on Netflix. Um, so the response to the film has been phenomenal across South America, Europe, um, the States, England, um, and here in New Zealand. Um, so it's, um, I think for me, it's just so exciting also to see this form of Australian cinema being seen by a global audience and for them reckoning with a language that's actually formed here in our yeah. cinema. I mean, this film is so informed by, you know, many of those films that we discussed before, um, that we're conscious we're, we're a part of that um, lineage and very proud to be a part of it and figure in it somewhere in its history. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C., As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.